So again, like thinking about the risk and proportionality, I would say early in your business or early in your digital product life, if you're selling at a low volume, it's unlikely that you're going to have a huge issue. But, you know, the more you sell, the more your business grows, the more your you know profile gets higher and people see sure. you. You know, we do a lot of dispute work. We send a lot of cease and desists. And I do find that when people's IP is copied or when it gets knocked off, it is very rarely by a stranger. It is almost always a customer or uh, a team member. That's what we see most often. You're listening to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now with your host, Jackie Koch, the podcast with all the tips and tools to help you succeed when all of a sudden you have the realization that you're the one in charge. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now. I'm your host, Jackie Koch. And today we are diving in to all things online business legal related from trademarks to copyrights. I have a special guest on the show talking about it. Today, I'm joined by Autumn Whit Boyd, who is a lawyer who helps million dollar coaches and online business owners build sustainable, profitable companies. She provides sophisticated legal guidance with copyright and trademark protection, contracts, team building, and problem solving. Along with her team at the AWB firm, she loves helping online educators think courses, memberships, and digital products grow their dream business while with approachable advice and the right legal protections at the right time. The AWB firm also offers customized contract templates that are quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a one-on-one lawyer. We dig into so many things, and I feel so grateful that I got to chat with her because we are in the process of launching one of our first toolkits. So I was able to dig dig into some of the things we got to make sure we do, some of the things that are okay not to do. And if you are listening to the show and thinking about starting to launch your own digital product or coaching membership, you are going to want to listen to this episode. So I'm so excited for you to hear from Autumn. Hi, Autumn. Welcome to the show. So grateful to meet you and so grateful that you said yes to my cold outreach to you on LinkedIn. (laughs) Well, hi, Jackie. I was delighted to receive it. I love talking to smart people about legal adjacent topics like you. So I'm really glad to be here. Amazing. Amazing. So can we start by sharing? I always love a good founder story. And especially for folks in a space like yours, how did you start your own practice? How did you get into this entrepreneurship journey? Yeah, by accident. It was definitely not like the grand plan. I had a very boring, normal start to my career. So I worked for a judge. I wanted to be a litigator. So that was great practice for then being in the courtroom on the other side. I worked for a couple different law firms. My last job, hopefully my last job ever, was... (laughs) With a copyright infringement law firm. So we represented mostly photographers and stock photo agencies, and we sued people who used their work without permission. And I had always wanted to do IP intellectual property, so it was a total dream job for me. And we, I was traveling all over the country, going to court. It was super fun. And I had twins. And it became less fun, the travel and the like very late nights. And it was a remote job, which was fantastic back when this was like 2008, 2009, when they were very much ahead of the curve. Yeah. We were using like AOL Instant Messenger because there were no, we were just using the tools that were available. So that job was not a great fit for our family after a while, but it showed me that I could 
start and run a remote law firm. I looked around when I knew I wanted to leave there and didn't see anything very appealing. I had worked at other law firms. I knew what that looked like. I did not want to go back. So it was the, I hate to say it was like the last resort, but I was, well, I'm just going to try and see how this goes. And if it's terrible, I know I can go get a job. So I did. And that was eight and a half years ago. So hopefully I will, I consider myself unemployable now. I am Um, getting close to that point for sure. I love that. And I, you are, there's this new, I, I don't know if it's new, but there's this group of women out there and moms out there that are just so inspired. I don't have kids, but I'm so inspired by people like you who are like, I'm going to start my own business. Like to me, starting my own business with children would be like so <laughs> freaking stressful. But there's so many of you who are like, well, I don't want this job's too stressful. So I'm just going to start my own thing. And I just I love that we have this new generation of different ways of moms being able to like have really great successful businesses. Thank you for doing that and not shying away from what probably seemed scary right away. For sure. I mean, lawyers, we are risk averse. Like I was never like dreaming of starting my own thing. But I will and I will say to answer your point about, you know, this is too stressful. I would say owning your own business is still stressful. It's just a different kind of stress. Yes. And it's certainly like flexibility was really the thing I was looking for. And not just not being subject to the whims of a court or the lawyer on the other side throwing something at me or bosses who are like, you just have to do this thing. And it doesn't matter that your kid is sick. And Yeah, that makes sense. The flexibility you definitely can't get rid of. There's other ups and downs to everything, right? Like I always I have a lot of friends who want to start like they're HR professionals who want to start a business. And when they when I got on the when I get on calls with them, you probably give the same advice. It's not all rainbows and sunshine. Like you're logging on when you're on vacation, probably more than you want to. Definitely in the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But that's awesome. Okay, so share with listeners a little bit about what your what type of law firm you have. How do you service clients? Would love a little backstory on that. Yeah, so currently we work primarily with folks who create online courses. So they sell education products or other digital products, downloadable products. A lot of our clients are coaches, so they might have a group mm-hmm. coaching program or a membership where they release new resources every month, Netflix. You learn something new every month. And I definitely fell into that area. That was not my goal to end up there. I didn't even know this. I call it like this weird corner of the internet. I didn't even know it existed. But I am, I, I don't know if it's the Myers-Briggs. I'm a high fact finder or oh, I don't know strengths what... finders. I think okay. strengths finders. Yeah. So when I started the business, they don't teach you how to run a business in law school. And mm. I'd always been a litigator. So I'd never really seen the business side, even of helping businesses with their legal stuff. So I felt like I needed to learn everything. So I was learning sales and marketing tactics and how to get my name out there. And get. I did not have any clients when I started. So I was building it from the ground up. And I love podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. And so I was listening to podcasts, trying to learn. And at this time, this was 2015, 2014. So this was the heyday of Facebook groups. So every podcast had a Facebook group. And I would just log in and I would have questions. I would ask for help or support. And I started noticing that Lots of people were asking legal questions and I was the only one answering them. There were really no other lawyers in this space. There were one or two that I looked up to at the time, but it was very much a blue ocean. And so you said you have a background working with startups. That's what I thought I would be doing early on and realized very quickly that was not going to be the the best fit for me. So yeah, I was just floundering trying to figure out, well, what, where is my fit and landed in that area? I just started being helpful. And then one person tells another and it just has grown little by little from there. 
Oh my gosh, I can so relate. I'll go to events or I'll be in groups. I need to get in more Facebook groups actually because I know this would be true, but I'll hear advice. Like it's a lot of HR advice and Mm -hmm. I hear the advice and I'm like, ooh, that's not what I would do or ooh, Uh, that's not actually right. And I don't want to be like the teacher's pet. Like, excuse me, you're right. But, you know, there's, I shouldn't say you're wrong, but it could be better. It could be better option, right? Because I do, there, you're right. There's a lot of, a lot of types of questions you have when you're building a business. And I think traditional parts, functions of a company, let's say like legal and HR and even finance and accounting, I think jumped into this space pretty early on. Yeah. yeah. But like legal and, and HR and recruiting and stuff like what you and I do, I feel like this is, this still is relatively new. And so it's been yes. really fun for me to start to play in this space too, for sure. Yeah. Um, so to okay. answer the rest of your question, so now yeah. we are four lawyers, we've grown okay. and a support staff, and I still focus on intellectual property. So I work on copyright and trademark projects. We do registrations, we protect IP, and then we also enforce. So we send cease and desists. We try not to go to court. I don't love going to court anymore, yeah. but we will when needed. And then the employment side of our business has really grown as our clients have grown up, their teams have grown. So we have two full-time employment lawyers. That's amazing. Yeah. And then we also do just a lot of general business work. So setting up entities, reviewing contracts, the day-to-day. So really a one-stop shop for all types of employment law in general. Yeah, we're really narrow. We only work with online businesses, but we are pretty full service for those types of businesses. That is really great. Otherwise, you have to go find different people for different things. Yes. Challenging. Yeah. And a lot of the clients that we work with maybe have registered a trademark here or hired a lawyer to draft a contract over here, but they never got that really like full view of their business, Yeah, which is what we really work to do. That's awesome. Okay. So selfishly, I have some questions for you because I didn't even tell you this when we first I can't wait. Up. I'm launching some digital products and some like HR membership coaching stuff. Our first product, well, they're, we're calling them toolkits because that's really what it yeah. is, a toolkit to help people learn how to find people for their open jobs. And I'm so interested what advice you would give me or any listeners to the show who are launching a product. Like there's so much noise out there on what you do need to do. I have to add copyright. Do I add disclaimers? Is there advice on must haves and maybe advice that you see that's not necessarily needed? Yes, a hundred percent. I'll give you my standard disclaimer since I haven't said it yet, which is I am a lawyer. I'm not your lawyer, Jackie, and none of the listeners. Yep. But, you know, take this as information. This is not legal advice. And I didn't mention yet, but I have my own podcast. So if listeners want to dive deep, we did a series of episodes. It's called the Legal Roadmap Podcast. I pulled this up. We did a series of episodes of what does your business really need legally at different stages. So it's four episodes. If you look that up in any podcast player, you can see it's like launch phase, scale phase, growth phase. And if you go to our website, it starts at episode 120. So I'll just give that plug. We will definitely link that in the show. Yeah, I'll send you those links. But so to answer your question about digital products specifically, I am only one lawyer, but my approach is typically I look at where the biggest risk is. And so we try to address that risk first, because even if you are a huge business, no business has unlimited resources, unlimited time. Nobody wants to work on legal all the time. So I like to prioritize that way. So when I think about a digital product like your toolkit, the things that I would worry about most are protecting the IP. So in that time, assuming it's like worksheets or templates, Mm -hmm. things like that resources. So we want to protect your IP. And then we want to protect you against things like customer disputes or refund requests or that kind of stuff. So the two things that I would think about there, one is 
having some sort of either terms or agreements with your customers. So we sell contract templates, a digital product similar to yours. Great. So what we do is at checkout, we have a little box that you have to check to be able to purchase. And it links to our terms and conditions, which say this is only for one person. You can't share this with your neighbor. You can't resell it. This is not legal advice. It has all of our disclaimers, just all of the things we want people to agree to. So I would highly recommend that. Just it also includes things like we own the copyrights and all this. So there's just very clear. Here's what you can and cannot do with this resource. And then the second thing to think about, I don't think you necessarily need to register the copyright. We have automatic copyright protection in the United States just from as if it's out of your brain and into a computer file or some sort of it has to be a tangible, but it can be digital, some sort of tangible object. Sure. It's automatically protected, but you can't file a lawsuit until it's registered. So I would say if this is a new thing, I don't think you necessarily need to invest in a copyright registration. So put that in your brain for down the road if it's like a huge when it's really successful. Yeah. We have a a client who's a CPA and she created this online calculator that she sells. She sold like 10,000 copies of it. We have registered the copyright for that now. Yeah. But what you can do in the interim is just add a copyright notice. And that's a really good practice on, I put it on the footer of everything that we do, all of our PDFs, all of our resources. If it's something someone's going to use in their business, like we don't put it on our contract templates, but any kind of handout or things like that. And that's just like that C in a circle the year, your business name. And then I like to add all rights reserved. So that just puts people on notice. Hey, you need to ask me if you're wanting to do something with this. I'm so Those are the two things I would start with, copyright notice and some sort of terms or agreement with your purchasers. Real quick, do you ever find yourself listening along to this and being like, well, shit, I wonder if I'm doing everything right from a legal and compliance perspective. Now, I've said this a lot, but I'm not an attorney, so nothing I share is legal advice. But over the last 15 years, I've worked with a lot of employment attorneys on a lot of different things related to people in HR. So I've learned a thing or two about helping a business stay compliant with the people stuff and implement some of the best practices so you can cover your ass, which is why I'm so excited about a free compliance and best practices checklist we've created over at my company, People Principles. It literally walks you step-by-step how to conduct an HR audit similar to what we do when we onboard new clients. So go grab your free copy over at peopleprinciples.co and you'll see it right there on the homepage. Now back to the show. Perfect. I got those covered. I'm so curious. How enforceable are those things? And like, how often are you actually going out and as a lawyer for your clients saying, hey, so-and-so, we noticed X, Y, like how often does this happen? And because I I feel like if there's listeners, if people listening, they're like, how do I really have to do this? Are people going to come after me or am I really going to go after them? I'm curious how common it is. Yeah. So again, like thinking about the risk and proportionality, I would say early in your business, or early in your digital product life, if you're selling at a low volume, it's unlikely that you're going to have a huge issue. But, you know, the more you sell, the more your business grows, the more your you know profile gets higher and people see sure. you. Um, you know, we do a lot of dispute work. We send a lot of cease and desists. And I do find that when people's IP is copied or when it gets knocked off, it is very rarely by a stranger. It is almost always a customer or um, a team member. That's what we see most often. 
And so having that contract, I know. Yeah. I'd rather it be a stranger. Right. Wouldn't you? Right. Yes. Agreed. But having those terms, it just gives you that it puts you in a better position to resolve a dispute. Like it's not going to keep it from happening. Nope. Nothing can do that. Maybe it'll discourage it a little bit. Someone sees you're legit, but it gives you some tools in your toolbox when you do find yourself in that situation that you can say, hey, Violet, you agreed when you purchased these, that you're going to follow these things. And if I need to see you, I can do it where I live. And there's all kinds of protections you can put in there. So in employment law, there's a lot of state-specific things. Is the same true with IP and copyright stuff? So copyright is all federal. There's no state copyright law. Trademark is state and federal, so they keep it Mm. interesting. But there's not a huge difference state to state. Okay. And for most of our clients, since they're online businesses, they're selling nationwide, if not internationally. So we typically disregard the state protections and we focus on the federal protections, which are stronger anyway. Yeah. Really? I feel like the opposite in in employment law. They're stronger state level. Oh, yes. It's a different. mm -hmm. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Because with the, I'll geek out for a moment. I'm excited. I love this stuff. (laughs) So you can register your trademark with your state. It's usually very cheap and fast, but you only get protection in that one state. So it doesn't help you anywhere else. Trademarks are territorial. So at the federal level, as long as you're using your trademark in at least two states, it has to involve what we call interstate commerce. That's The bar is very low. Like you're a restaurant and somebody comes from Georgia to Tennessee to eat. Like, hooray, you've got interstate commerce. You register at the federal level, and now you're covered in all 50 states, even if you've only got customers in two or three. So it really is a a much higher level of protection. Interesting. Okay. So then next thought that came through is, and I'm thinking about this as it relates also to like how I support clients with so much remote work, and people are hiring people internationally all the time. How are you seeing the world of copyright and IP changing with international expansion and things becoming so cross-border? Are you seeing any changes to that or anything that listeners should be aware of as they're creating stuff? No, that's really interesting. I would say we're seeing it more on the trademark side since trademarks are territorial. Let's say I register my trademark, which I do have a trademark registration, in the United States. If someone is infringing my trademark in Canada... My trademark doesn't matter up there. I would have to register it in Canada to be able to, unless there's common law rights, unless there's those kind of automatic rights, which is different in every country. So it just, it adds a level of complexity for sure. And I would say that's not so much for the remote team. That's more like just selling internationally. Yeah. And with copyright, there's treaties where usually the copyright law of another country is enforced in other countries. There's some kind of reciprocity, basically. So the copyright laws aren't that different country to country feels so messy. It feels like it could be a spider yeah. web, if especially. And I imagine that only really comes into play. And obviously, you're the expert in this. But if you're a coaching company doing a bunch of live events, let's say, here and in Australia, mm-hmm. you might, like, if a lot of your income and, and work is being done in Australia, then you might want to consider looking at that stuff. We Would do have a coaching accurate? client. Yeah, we have one large coaching client, like 10 to $15 million annual revenue. And we are working to register their trademarks in 10 other countries because they do have a significant number of yeah. foreign customers. When you said Australia, it reminded me, we actually do have an Australian client. We've done some copyright work for her. And actually the remote, it's contractors, not employees. But we did, she had a standard like contractor agreement that she used with intellectual property terms. And we researched in every country where she actually had people to make sure that it was enforceable. And we had to tweak it for 
a few of the some of the countries had really specific rules around certain things. So that's interesting. It does come up occasionally. Yeah. Uh, that, and she yeah. was producing like physical products so that the intellectual property protections were a little she wanted Probably. to make sure they were really strong. Yeah. Yeah. That would make sense. So then in your business, if, do you guys do one-off work with that? If listeners are on the show, like listening to the show and they're like, oh my gosh, I probably need to do some of this stuff. Like, how can they work with you? And it sounds like your whole having your full stack team would be a dream. So I'm so curious. Obviously, we, I still have a lot more I want to talk about, but I yeah. do want to ask a question. Oh, I'm happy to tell you. Yes. Yeah, so we are focused on online businesses. So that means course creators, memberships. We also work with other folks who are in this sphere. So like consultants like you who are working or in digital products. So we're not too narrow. But if that sounds like you, or if you're doing a lot of digital marketing, you're in that kind of online world, we do take one-off projects. We do like for them to be meaty if we are just getting started. If you just need a tiny little thing, like a 30-minute consult, we would probably refer you to someone else because we are really interested in long-term relationships since we do have such a broad range of services. We really like to get to know our clients well and be able to serve them over a long period. So we have two ways. One is if you've got just an issue or a dispute or something that needs immediate attention, we just hop right on that. We handle it hourly, just like most normal lawyers. And then we also have a strategy package, which we like to do if nothing is on fire. And that way we can look at the whole business, yeah. see what's going on with contracts, with the team, with intellectual property. Even sometimes we find things with the legal entity that's a bit of a mess. And that's a lot of just kind of education of the client, too, because most of our um, business owner clients have never worked with a lawyer before unless they are corporate. So we're teaching them what to watch out for as well. And then we work on that first project, whatever we decided. Almost always their client contract that needs attention. Yeah, I bet. Uh, it's probably very similar to what I run into is a lot of times there's some sort of fire drill. Somebody, something's going on. And they, right. nobody calls like, an HR consultant for fun. Yeah, no, there's always no, a reason. with lawyers. Same thing. And it's, well, if you would have maybe allowed me to come in a little earlier, we would have been able to fix this and this. And I know hindsight's always twenty twenty, but you know, it's, there are so many benefits to doing a deep dive before you have problems Yeah, that get so missed. It's just like setting up oper like your operation systems and processes. It's, you usually don't do it until you have a major issue and then yeah. it's so much rework. Um, yeah. Yeah. Someday, maybe all of this will change, but. Probably. I think being an entrepreneur myself, I'm always like, ah, we can wait on that. It's not really causing pain. So I totally get it, which is why we do. We don't force people into that strategy package right. if they really do have something they need help with. Well, I imagine that also makes you easier to work with because you're not like so cut and dry. And like yeah. when you can relate as an entrepreneur to what they're going through, it makes it easier because you've already said it a couple of times, which I love. It's look at the risk. Right. Like everything is like a you're trying to look at the risk. And I think sometimes with lawyers, just like HR professionals, it's like black and white. And you're like, right. but it's not really right. black and, and white. And so I love that you also are an entrepreneur because you get it. There's some things that you're like, it just didn't make sense at that time. And so I'm sure your clients can feel that and really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And the other thing, it sounds like you probably take this approach, too, is I always want to make sure that the business owner is getting a return on their investment in whatever we're doing together. When it, we mentioned, what are the things you don't need legally? I get a ton of inquiries about trademarks and often from people who are very early in their business journey. And I almost always say, yeah, you don't really need that. Like it can wait, it's fine. And some people give me a hard time about, oh, you, you're turning away work. And I'm like, yeah, but 
I, I have done trademark registrations for newer businesses. And then we get the certificate and they've already changed the offer. They've already changed their business that. name. Guilty. It's so common. It's Guilty. so common. And so now I don't want to disempower anyone, but I'm like, just experiment, test and change. That is totally normal. It is what you yep. should be doing. And then in a year, come back and we will absolutely do it. Yeah, I know. I do the same thing. Yeah. It's, oh, I can't believe I did. I trademarked something and now I'm not even using it's, it. It's so common. Give yourself I know, a break. I know. But now I actually have the thing that I should do. And I'm like, I'm going to wait a little longer just to make sure I'm proving yeah. it out. It's just, it's funny how our brains work with that. Okay. So trademarks kind of wait on. Are there any other things that you feel like you could probably wait on or anything like that? Uh, so the one thing I would recommend with trademarks, I, I wouldn't recommend a registration right away, but I, it does hurt to do kind of a quick trademark search just yeah. to make sure that you're not stepping on anyone else's toes, because maybe you do find something that you stick with and you don't want to be pouring time and energy and money eventually into building up a brand or a name that then you find out later someone else had first. In the United States, it doesn't matter whether it's registered or not whoever's using a trademark first, they win the race. They get all the rights. So we want to make sure that you are the first one to be using a trademark and that there's not somebody else who might come out of the woodwork later and cause you problems. Yeah. I yeah, for sure. Those can, do you have any, is there resources that you can reference where people can go look this stuff up on their own? Yes, absolutely. I'm trying to see if you, I was about to say, I'll give you I'll give you a link afterwards and we can drop it in the show notes. I'll have to look it up. But we have a, a free resource about how to do your own trademark search. I just don't have the link on the top of my head. But yes, it's a guide. It's like you search the USPTO. Typically, I recommend USPTO social media handles, a domain availability, although do a domain is not a trademark always. And then your state like corporations or secretary of state department. Okay. Awesome. What if somebody runs a trademark search and they are stepping on somebody's toes? Do you have recommendations on what they should do then? Should you totally just scrap it? Should you, what recommendations do you have then? Yeah, well, that's such a, we hate when that I happens. Know. I know. So you're going to get tired of me saying this, but we look at the risk. So it depends on who is using it first. If it's like some random blogger that hasn't posted since 2012, and can't find any evidence that they're like selling anything or really using it in commerce, then maybe we don't worry about that so much. If we find that it's CVS and it's a product on their mm. shelves, which happened to one of my clients, like then that's a giant corporation with a lot of in-house lawyers and probably very sophisticated trademark counsel. That is yeah. someone you don't really want to go up against. Yeah. And most of the time it's somewhere in between, or maybe it's not the exact same mark, but it's a little different. It, it's different in every scenario. We have to yeah. look at all the facts and how much, how important is it to our client? How much have they put into it? How long has the other one been using it? Sometimes we can negotiate what's called a coexistence, which means like, hey, we're similar, but we're going to stay in our own lane. And I also, so it just depends the favorite yeah. lawyer answer. No, I know. <laughs> I, I give that answer all the time. I also think like in the coaching world, it's so interesting because people have different names for programs. Like it might not be their business name, but they're launching right. this name for this program, which when other coaches use, so much of that gets so messy sometimes. I don't know if you have advice for that or is it, I guess the thought I have when I'm thinking about it is if you're new and just launching a program and you're not sure if it's going to be the thing long term, just go for it and see yeah. and then change the name later would be what I yes. would do. Is that bad? A hundred percent. Yes. No. And the other thing I'll mention, 
again, I'm going to geek out on trademark for just a minute, but not all names of things can be registered as a trademark. There's a spectrum. So think of like a rainbow or a ruler. Over here, I'm using my right hand, is super protectable trademarks. So those are made up words. What trademark law is meant to do is to help customers find what they're looking for. So interesting. the goal is to prevent customer confusion. So keep that in the back of your mind. So a really distinctive made-up word is unlikely to be accidentally used by someone else. Think yeah. Kodak or like all the apps on your phone, like Whoople, just these made-up words. So those are super strong. That's like the ideal trademark. The downside to those as an entrepreneur, especially in the in- like education and information space, is what the heck does Whoople mean? You yeah. have to do a lot of work to show people, to educate people what that even means and that it's associated with your stuff. At the All the way at the other end of the spectrum, my left hand, is just words that are totally generic. They just identify the thing. So like clock or pen or plant, those are never going to be protectable because trademark law wants people to be able to tell people what they're selling. Like this is a pen. You don't want to give someone a monopoly over that word, which is basically what trademark law does. And most things fall somewhere in the middle. For online courses, for education and information products, typically you want to be like a little bit distinctive, but you still want to make it easy for people to tell what they're buying. So Mm -hmm. we do see a lot of kind of weak brands in the online education space yeah, because you want to be able to sell your thing. That's what really matters more than having this incredible brand. Like you're not on the shelf at Walmart trying to stand out. Yeah, And I think in this space too, we have a lot of personal brands, a lot of people become famous or they gain a reputation for an expertise in some area. And that's really what sells it, not the program name. Yeah, that's valid. Just different things to think about. Okay. That makes me feel better because my stuff was like (laughs) hiring handbook. Uh, Probably not trademark. (laughs) Yeah. No. And we all the time are talking with coaches and they're like, I want to do like a diet lifestyle coaching program. Like you cannot register that trademark. That is so descriptive. Totally. Oh my gosh. Hilarious. That was a fake example. That's not an actual. (laughs) Totally. Mine was not a fake example. Listeners, go buy that. <laughs> just, just not kidding, but I am kidding. Okay, awesome. Oh my gosh, I have so many other questions and I'm sure listeners also will because I know there's a lot of listeners to the show who are creating programs, are creating memberships. And it is hard to often to find lawyers who specialize in that space. You can find yeah. lawyers for a lot of like traditional businesses, but this space specifically feels like there's a lot of it depends. And having a lawyer like you who gets it is probably so refreshing for listeners. We've already shared where they can find you. Do you, on, are you on social media? Should they follow? Is there a best social media platform for them to follow you for, for information and tips? Yeah. I'm probably most active on Instagram and LinkedIn. The name of our firm is just my initials. It's the AWB firm. So that's our social media handle everywhere. Would love to follow us. We share videos and we have an incredible email uh, newsletter. So if this stuff interests you, you can sign up for that on our website at awbfirm.com. Amazing. And I can confirm they share so much great information. So that is how I found out about you. So Fun. grateful. And we'll drop everything in the show notes and make sure to listen to the podcast. I'm definitely going to turn that on when I take my dog for a walk. It was so great to meet you. And I hope that we get to keep in touch. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks again for the invite, Jackie. Of course. Talk again soon. That's a wrap on another episode of Oh Shit, I'm the Boss Now, because guess what? You're the boss now. You listen to the show because you care about doing 
the people stuff right in your business. And I commend you for that. At my company, People Principles, our mission is to help more small businesses succeed. And we believe that building a thriving, high-performing team with the right systems in place is crucial to making that happen. That's why we've got our incredible toolkit shop. It's your one-stop destination for everything HR and team related. Each toolkit is loaded with everything we've ever done in-house with high-growth startups, from hiring processes to performance management to handbooks. It's all there. And we've built these toolkits specifically with you in mind, the small business owner, because what you need at 10 to 30 people is very different from what you need over 100 people. So don't wait and head over to peopleprinciples.co forward slash toolkits and explore our complete people operations toolkits. It's like having an HR expert in your back pocket, walking you through the journey to building a thriving team and a thriving business.